This is the Crime Cafe, your podcasting source of great crime, suspense, and thriller writing. I'm your host, Debbie Mack. Before I introduce my guest, I'd like to remind you that the Crime Cafe nine book set is available, as well as the Crime Cafe short story anthology. They're both available online at all major online retailers for $1.99 for the box set and 99 cents for the anthology, which is a real deal. Just go to debbymack.com and click on either Crime Cafe or my book link to find the Crime Cafe buy links. Now, having said that, I am very pleased to introduce the author that I once called the golden god of marketing, Seth Harwood. <laughs> hey, man. How you doing? Thanks for having me on. I am so happy to have you on. I have admired your your business savvy and your writing for years. And I got to say, it seems like a million years ago that I first heard about Jack Wakes Up. But I had no idea that you had serialized it as a podcast before publishing. So see, you were way ahead of the curve on all of us. Uh, when did you start the podcast? I started in 2006 in the summer. I had been a big fan of audiobooks, and so I saw that the way that I could put this book out was to, um, you know, put it out as audio in a way that people could get it on the web and interact with it. And that seemed to make so much more sense than putting it on the web as text. So there were guys like Scott Sigler and T. Morris and a few others at a website called Patio Books, and they were ahead of me, but it was still like very early stuff. I mean, you know, it's years before something like Serial comes along and people really know what a podcast is. Mm -hmm. But what we were doing then was serializing our books as podcasts. So I did it with Jack Wakes Up, I started, and then I really found an audience that I could connect to and I feel like for so long as a writer, that's what I had been looking for. And even, you know, having gone, having gone past that to get books published by big presses, small presses, all different kinds of presses, that interaction with readers, that feeling of I knew people were waiting for my stuff to come out each week. Uh, I knew that they were invested in the story and I would hear from them. That level of interaction, that was the best thing ever really mm -hmm. um and so you know it was great that i did that and my goal at the time was to get enough of an audience so that publishers would take me more seriously and publish me and you know looking back on it now what i was doing then was even better than working with publishers and so now i'm going back to that and and i think you know you've done a lot of self-publishing other guys have done self-publishing and you know, just to find a way to sort of work with the audience directly, I think that's the best thing that we can do. But the rest of the story, yeah, and you probably know more about that than I do, but the rest of the story is that, um, so I did like five or six books as serialized audiobooks, podcasts. I put them all out for free, built an audience, and then I started doing Crime Wave, which is how I met you because I wanted to get more crime stories to that audience that I had. And I wanted to help other authors get into the podcasting stuff uh, and sort of help get their work out there. 
so it yeah it was really great and it was very intense period of my life where i did from you know 2006 to about 2009 i was doing roughly a podcast a week of 30 minutes of fiction uh mixing recording editing putting it out doing the web posts and sometimes two a week when i was doing my own stuff and crime wave so it was really a lot of work i can i know yeah i know how much work goes into it personally um of course and uh so that must have been quite uh hectic for you writing uh <laughs> podcasting all of that the thing you must was be a that good i was a time manager <laughs> it must be a good something but what I did that was helpful was that um, I had the book Jack Wakes Up written. And so when I was podcasting that, it was all completely written. And then I had a, I had a series of stories uh, that I could podcast, short stories in the literary tradition from my time in graduate school. Um, and so when I finished Jack Wakes Up, I would take a hiatus and then basically write the next book and while I was on hiatus, I would podcast some short stories and sort of go through whatever I had that I could put out as content and say, you know, stay in touch with the feed. If these short stories aren't really your speed, um, you know, there's going to be more crime and more Jack Palm stuff coming soon. And people really stuck with it. And a lot of the people really liked my short stories and connected with me through that, which was which really felt great because those are closer to my heart than the crime writing. Huh. Um, they're semi-autobiographical. And basically, as I was going forward with podcasting each new novel, they were getting closer to being the rough draft that I would podcast. And I got to the point where I was getting closer and closer to serialization to the point where by the time I was podcasting the fourth book, I had 25,000 words of it written and I started podcasting it. And I was writing it week, each week I would write more material and um, podcast it. So basically I was, I had a buffer of 25,000 words and I was trying to write four or 5,000 words a week, podcast that much and maintain that buffer of 20 to 25,000 words. But I was literally, you know, creating it as I was writing. and. It was it was hard. It was a lot of work, but it was fun and exciting and like seat of your pants and a pretty amazing experience. And I, I still I love that book, Young Junius, the one that came out of that. And a lot of my. You know, you have these books that that are closer to you. That's the crime book that's closest to me before the one that I'm doing now. But, you know, there's other ones that maybe you think a crime book should be this or a publisher wants you to do that. And, um, you know, Young Junius, the people that like Young Junius are the people who I get the most mm -hmm. and we connect. And I love that book. It was, it was risky because almost all the characters are African-American mm -hmm. and to use their voices and, and set this in 1987, um, was hard, but, it was amazing. It was an amazing experience to write it and podcast it. And then we did a really cool um, special edition of it where we had pictures in it and special covers that were designed by artists who are listeners. 
And basically, we raised money for a print run of it by pre-selling these $35 special editions. It was just an amazing process back then. And I look back on it now, and I'm like, oh, my God, how did I do all that? Mm-hmm. And part of the answer is that I didn't have a kid at that point. <laughs> yeah, I hear that takes a lot of time. It um, does, but it's so rewarding, too. That's what I hear also. <laughs> <laughs> As an aunt, I can appreciate it. Yeah, from an aunt's it's perspective. amazing. Um, but that was the thing was that, um, you know, connecting with that audience, knowing that I had an audience that wanted material and writing to give it to them, it was great. And for me, like making the audio and recording it and stuff and even doing the voices, it wasn't super hard for me. And so I was able to do it. Well, that's fantastic. And it just folds right in with the whole concept of social media marketing as well. Totally. Connecting with people and getting feedback from them. So well, that was the great thing was that I could hear from, I mean, I was on Twitter and Facebook and wherever else, basically because wherever my listeners were, I wanted to be able to hear from them on the platform that they liked. And so mm -hmm. when I would put stuff out, it wasn't always, hey, buy my book. Mm -hmm. That was the cool thing was that each week I had a new thing to give people. And so my social media stuff was never, hey, look at me or exactly. hey, do this or buy this. It was always like, here's something for you. Here's something yeah. for you. This is for you. And so I think that was really effective. And, you know, if you have 20 episodes of a book and each week you're coming back and offering you know, maybe for the first couple of times someone sees it on Facebook, they they miss it. But then, you know, by the tenth, by the fourth or fifth time, they're thinking, "Wait, what is this?" And then they look, and it's like, "Oh, episode five. Oh, I can get episode one here. Yeah, I'll try that out and listen." And now, you know, that was back when a lot of the people who were interested in crime maybe didn't really get the technology for listening to podcasts. Mm -hmm. A lot of the people who were really successful with the podcasting back then were writing sci-fi because the readers for that tend to be more early adopting. Um, but, you know, now so many people listen to podcasts. And the cool thing is that Patreon, I did a Kickstarter in 2010, and that was great, but it took a lot of work to raise a yeah. chunk of money. And so the thing that I like about Patreon is that you build it and then people go on it and subscribe. So it continues to do the funding for you. Mm -hmm. And it's not just a one-time thing like Kickstarter was. So I'm doing Patreon now. And I honestly think, I honestly am in a place where I feel like I've put, in my, I've put my eggs in publisher's baskets many times. It doesn't really pay off. And I'm at a point where I wanna try to monetize the audio rather than the print and sort of monetize try to monetize and sell the print stuff as a secondary fashion but really try to interact with the audience through um patreon let them subscribe and get the audio and interact with my stuff that way well i think that's a perfect way of doing things and just brilliant and um so are all of your novels jack palms novels are they all part of the series well no so there's three jack palms books okay uh jack wakes up this is life and then well 
it's funny because when I first podcasted them, there were three Jack Palms books. And then when I got with a publisher, I took the second and third and combined them into one book just because it worked out better that way as, as a book. But in mm -hmm. some ways, as I was starting to podcast, it almost felt more like these things were more like seasons. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they leave things open-ended and there's threads that go from season to season and it's fun to write that way. Mm -hmm. So there's Jack Wakes Up, This Is Life, and then Young Junius, the one that was about that's about Cambridge. Um, that one is kind of a prequel to Jack Wakes Up, where it takes a secondary character and talks about him growing up in Cambridge in the late 80s. And I just have to say quickly, last weekend, there was a reunion of these people who grew up in these project towers in Cambridge. And I say the mean streets of Cambridge and people laugh like it's a joke, like Cambridge uh -huh. is only Harvard. But there are mean streets in Cambridge and these people lived in them and grew up there and they had a reunion cookout last weekend and somehow at the cookout they started talking about my book. And so this week on social media I've been hearing from these people who are in Boston and Tampa who grew up in these towers uh -huh. and they're like interested in my book. It's kind of amazing. Anyway, it's really exciting to be out there on YouTube or something and now have these people who really knew this existence coming to me and saying, hey, you know, I was this kid. Mm -hmm. I want to read your book. And so that, you know, the I guess the message of that is that when you're writing a book that really means a lot to you, even if it's not the book that you write that sells the most, it can have a lot of really cool rewards down the road. That's also the only book of mine that's been optioned for a movie, but. Interesting. Anyway. I was going to ask you about that because your approach to serializing your stories lends itself in a way to television. Uh, yeah. Pictured uh, your work being put on TV and who would you want to play Jack or say <laughs> any one of your characters? Yeah, we used to do, when I was doing the serialization, we would have, those conversations. I would talk about that with the listeners and we would say, you know, who would play this guy? Who would play that guy? And, mm -hmm. you know, now it's like so dated 10 years later, the people that we were talking about, one of them was like one of the lead actors of a show called Prison Break that now nobody even remembers. Yeah. Or it, or back then it was like um, Jason Statham and now his career is way crappier. So it's, it's funny. But when Jack Wakes Up came out from Random House, there was a, a couple of people in LA who were connecting it with showrunners and stuff like that and taking it around to HBO and some other places. And I was like, I just want to fly down and come to the HBO offices. I won't say a word. I just uh -huh. want to sit in the pitch meeting. And they were like, no, no, you can't do that. Ah, oh, jeez, yeah. They always think that the, the writer is going to object or get in the way or something. Not at all. Take I just want to sit it. at the fancy table, see what the HBO offices look like, and get a free Diet Coke. There you go. <laughs> I want a Diet Coke. That's all I want out of this is like Diet Coke with ice. But to get back to your question about the books, yeah, there's several Jack books. And then I wrote a book called... Um, in Broad Daylight, which features a female FBI agent, uh, mm -hmm. and she's she's chasing a serial killer in Alaska, and that one was really fun. 
And that one did pretty well uh, sales wise. And I podcasted that for free. And then my most recent book that's been published is called Everyone Pays. And it features a woman who's a San Francisco homicide detective. Huh. And that one actually, I didn't podcast. And so the publishers produced a full audiobook of that. And they have fancy actors and there's a man and a woman who do the different chapter narrations and voices. Um, so everyone pays and in broad daylight have female main characters. And then a bunch of the other ones are Jack Palms or Junius Ponds. And then there's two books of short stories um, that are in the more literary vein. And the new project features Jack Palms, Jack Palms again, and it's, it's the best thing ever. Wow. Well, um, yeah, I was going to say, uh, tell us about your latest book, The uh, Maltese Jordans. <laughs> the Maltese Jordans. Yeah, you can sounds, see some I, of my Jordans up here. <laughs> this, at, I, I, these are Maltese Jordans. Oh, how cool. Look at that thing. Not really. They're but, not jewel encrusted, but. Uh, <laughs> like no, these Maltese are not Jordan. official Maltese Jordans. But these are the Michael Jordan sneakers. Now they remake these things and re-release them all the time. So uh -huh. if you want Michael Jordan sneakers from 1996, you can buy them in 2012, just remade and re-released. But um, the ones that came out in 96, 97, I think are the best. And so the story is that Jordan did this game, had these Jordan 11 sneakers that were jewel encrusted. <laughs> Basically, I started writing this book after a trip to Hawaii, and then this sneaker stuff started coming into it, which has always kind of been my secret obsession that I don't let out of the box, mm -hmm. because rational, fiscally responsible people in my life say that I shouldn't have more than three pairs of sneakers that I could wear at a given time. Can you imagine the fiscal responsibility of that? <laughs> but now there's a world of sneaker heads where like upwards of 60 pairs of sneakers is not abnormal. Talk to Seinfeld about that. I mean, isn't he a sneaker freak? Is he? I thought he only had like one or two pairs of giant white sneakers. Well, maybe that was it. Because I know he had a thing about sneakers and they had to be white. Yeah, he might have, but he's not an official, like there are sneaker heads and there's a sneaker head um, world out there now, but huh. Seinfeld is not one of the people. Ah, okay. Well, he's not into but Jordans. There's a lot of sports figures and rappers who are giant sneaker heads and have mm -hmm. vaults or sheds or guest houses full of sneakers. There's this guy called The Mayor. Oh I could go God. on for hours. Oh anyway, my gosh. What happened was I started writing this book and the research, the writing brought me into a world of sneakers and then I just grew it and it really tapped into a giant passion that I have for the sneakers from Michael Jordan's career and, you know, basketball from that era hmm. and storytelling. So, I have a lot of passion for this project. The publisher that I was working with didn't want it. And so I'm doing it myself and putting it out on Patreon at my website as serialized audio. And I'm having a great time. That's awesome. Uh, and nowadays you can do like one podcast a month 
and people are okay with that. So I'm not driving myself totally insane, but I think I want to try to get to like once every three weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A reasonable schedule. Yeah. It's always best. <laughs> Sustainable. Sustainable. Exactly. Um, what crime authors have inspired you in your own writing? Raymond Chandler is amazing. Oh yes, amen. <laughs> Raymond Chandler Master. is just incredible. Like his his sentences. Oh. And yeah, his descriptions. I used to teach a class in San Francisco called Detective Fiction, and and we would read Chandler, and we would watch um, Double Indemnity, and the dialogue in that movie that Chandler wrote. It's amazing. It's priceless. But, yeah. Yeah. yeah chandler guys like elmore leonard mm -hmm. um dennis johnson who some people don't think of as a crime writer but uh whose work is amazing and who wrote a book called nobody move which is certainly in the crime vein um richard price is amazing oh, i yeah. love his stuff mm -hmm. um clockers lush life just incredible uh pretty much anyone who was a writer on the wire George Pelicanos, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Dennis Lehane is another Boston guy. Um, Reed Farrell Coleman. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. now I know a lot of these guys and it's like, well, these are great guys. But in terms of the writers, yeah, Jim Thompson as well. Exquisite, Just, yeah. Yeah, amazing, amazing. And so, you know, I have these guys in the literary tradition who've inspired me like Dennis Johnson or Juno Diaz or Raymond Carver. Um, oh, yes. Raymond Carver. I've read his short stories. Yeah. Raymond Carver and Raymond Chandler are sort of my top tier. But then, you know, I love Richard Price's long novels. Um, huh. And so, yeah, those guys. Absolutely. I'm, I'm right there with you. When you said Raymond Chandler, it's like, oh, my God. You know, that, to me, he's like God. <laughs> yeah, just, it's I amazing. I love him. Yes. I don't think, I don't think his, I can't work in the revision style that he did. Mm -hmm. Mark Coggins, who's another writer who I really admire and like his work. Uh, he went to the archive of where Chandler's stuff is and wrote a piece on the web about Chandler's revision process, where basically Chandler would like write a, a draft and then underline the pieces that he liked the most. Mm -hmm. and get rid of everything else and just rewrite it where he would only bring in those really great pieces. And this was wow. in the time of typewriters and stuff. So everything has changed. And I can't revise like he does, and my writing is not as tight as he is. But, you know, guys like Frank Conroy and um, Chris Offit and Jim McPherson or Marilyn Robinson as well, they taught me a lot when I was in graduate school about how to connect with the reader and create visual scenes. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of, that's kind of my gospel. That's my Bible. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, we're kind of running out of time. So is there anything else that you would like to add before we conclude? Um, I would love to show a picture of the Maltese Jordans cover that Jerry Scullion made. But maybe we'll have to wait for that on your website after. I don't know how to share that on here. Okay. Um, in that case, we can wait for it or you can send it to me and I can cut it in. <laughs> yeah, I'll send it to you and you can cut it in. But 
Yeah, on Patreon is where I'm really doing a lot of exciting stuff right now. It's a place where people can sort of choose what level of support they like. And uh, at the $3 level, they can get the regularly released audio stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's that's the new form of serialized audio fiction that I'm doing. And so all my books were free as audio for a very long time. And now I've taken them all down, but I'm going to start re-releasing them through Patreon uh, so that people can hear them and get them that way. Absolutely. That's fantastic. That's a great idea. And yeah. uh, it's wonderful to talk to you. I mean... Not only is it wonderful to learn about your inspirations and, and your, your work, but um, just your ideas about marketing. So uh, thank you very much for being here, Seth. I really appreciate it. And, You're welcome. Uh, Let's, we, I, we have to do it again sometime. Yeah, amen to that. <laughs> I'm with you there. Um, cool. We've got to stay in touch. Um, anyway. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Seth, and uh, I hope that you've enjoyed it out there as much as I have. And um, before I go, I will simply remind you that the Crime Cafe box set and anthology are available for sale online at all online retailers. And with that, uh, thank you very much for listening, and uh, see you in two weeks. Bye.